You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, April 28th. 2022. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Strike Mick. Later in the program, WFHB environmental affairs correspondent Nathaniel Weinzappel concludes his series on how climate change impacts Indiana. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Strike Mike. Voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of their recent strike against Indiana University. But first, your local headlines. During public comment at the Bloomington City Council meeting on April 20th, resident Greg Alexander shared his concerns about apartment complexes that are being proposed isolated from the neighborhoods and without access to sidewalks and public transportation. I'm here to tell you this because I could tell I was really disappointed. Planning staff straight up said, there's nothing we can do about this. And, And that's not true, but I can feel their defeat There is nothing you can do about it without eminent domain, without public will to connect neighborhoods at the cost of a few people's backyards. And it will cost that. And there's no choice about that. If we don't use eminent domain in that way, we will continue to build 160 units of segregated housing that isn't connected to its neighbors. Uh, Thanks for your time. Bloomington resident Cheryl Walter asked the council to add a four-way stop to the intersection between Sheridan and Maxwell that she said is unsafe due to the increase in the volume of traffic and the speed on the road. Council members Piedmont-Smith, Flaherty, Rollo, and Rosenbarger sponsored a resolution to support the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. Council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith presented the resolution. For example, the coalition points out that for six years between 2014 and 2020, the vast majority of graduate employees at Indiana University did not receive a raise, while graduate student fees, especially those levied upon international graduate workers, have continued to increase. To this day, many graduate student academic appointees do not earn sufficient compensation to pay living expenses. And whereas, After repeated attempts to increase stipends and reduce fees have failed, the IGWC-UE has pursued unionization of graduate student employees at Indiana University following the university's human resources policy on conditions for cooperation between employee organizations and the administration of IU. And whereas, through the IGWC-UE's efforts organizing efforts, more than 1,750 of approximately 2,500 IU graduate workers have signed union cards indicating they want to be represented by the union, which represents a supermajority of the intended bargaining unit. And whereas the provost of the Indiana University Bloomington campus, Rahul Srivastav, and the president of Indiana University, Pamela Witten, have refused to recognize the Graduate Workers Union or negotiate with IGWC-UE 
to try to address their concerns, refusing to recognize graduate workers within their existing HR policy on employee organizations. The council voted unanimously in support of the graduate workers. The next city council meeting will be held on May 4th. On April 20th at the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting, audiences heard from Dr. Vernon Kintrow about the HealthNet Homeless Initiative. The HealthNet staff asked to host clinics at the public libraries. He asked that they would like to start a clinic at one site as a pilot program and expand from there. They think um, we need to do a needs assessment and to look at the demand. So what we traditionally have done is we will start um, smaller like we're doing now with one branch and we'll assess the need. And from there, um, as uh, demand dictates, if we can expand, we absolutely would love to do that. Um, is that something we can commit to right now? Um, yes and no. No in the sense that we don't know um, what our demand will be with the initial, uh, what I would call pilot um, site. But yes, in a sense, as if there is a need, we will do the best that we can within our power and within the resources available to us to meet those needs. HealthNet nurse practitioner Abby Wands clarified how the clinic would operate. Um, obviously, if we have a partnership with the library, um, we will have a set time at which we would get there and be there, whether it's every other Wednesday or, you know, we'd have set dates that could certainly be made public. Um, so that way we can make sure we're there when we say that we're going to be and, and address that need. You know, there's there's a lot of chronic health needs in this population and so while maybe they're concerned about like something acute going on, we're also going to look at the whole person and look at, you know, whether, you know, their their high blood pressure that may be causing some of their issues and maybe start them on blood pressure medication. Um, now, as for like referral and stuff, if they we're kind of trying to work through that and where do they go for certain things and um we're, we're still getting all that figured out because, again, we are primarily based out of Indianapolis. And so Bloomington is new to us. Um, but then we also may try to get them hooked up with a primary care provider, whether that's with HealthNet or IU Health or wherever it may be, so that way their chronic health needs can continue to be met um, it, even when they're no longer homeless, hopefully. Social worker Melissa Virgis explained why they chose to meet at the community libraries. We know public libraries are a safe space for folks to go, very low barrier. Um, and so look, when I started looking at the library, you know, in Indianapolis, we have a great relationship with them as well. We've never had a clinic, um, but I was thinking, where can we have a clinic for folks that don't go to shelter that, you know, maybe we can't even really catch on the streets because they're they maybe are not an established camp or something like that. And we know that the library is again a really safe space for folks to go. So crazy idea, but I was like maybe we could have a clinic at the library because we know people come there, they feel safe, they feel welcomed, um, and it's very low barrier to access, you know, any to access services. So um that's really what what my goal was in looking at the library. Board member Nichelle Whitney Wash asked if the patients being referred to other practices would be guaranteed assistance due to the lack of current healthcare available. Dr. Kintro said they will keep working with the patient until they are able to get help from the medical specialists. He also said that they are able to use their connections with HealthNet to call in favours if patients need urgent help.
The board will hear from them again before they are asked to vote on the partnership. Up next, we have Strike Mike, voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, in light of their recent strike against Indiana University. We turn now to that segment. This is Strike Mike. On Sunday, April 10th, a 97.8 affirmative vote by IU graduate workers set into motion the largest indefinite strike Bloomington has seen in decades. Every day that we can, WFHB's Strike Mike will bring you to the front lines of this movement, allowing you to understand the issues and the action through the voices of the participants themselves. Hey, so I'm Denise. I am a grad worker from the English department at IU. And uh, today we are out at the loading docks uh, by the union. We're just doing picketing uh, here um, and talking to delivery drivers, talking to students who are going by, um, talking to faculty members who are passing by, um, basically just trying to get uh, some solidarity across different groups of workers and different groups of people who are Uh, around the university and working for the university. Um, So talking to the delivery drivers, trying to uh, just gain solidarity um, and and, uh, try to encourage people to not cross the picket lines, um, whether they are grad workers or not. Um, I have also been doing um, the uh, bike picketing. Uh, So that is where a group of uh, bikers goes around um, all around campus um, on their bikes uh, and does chants and songs and things like that. the bike picket groups have been really fun and have felt really effective over the past couple of weeks, um, mostly because unlike the uh, more static location protests, we can really we- reach a wider amount of people, um, reach things like tour groups. Um, we can kind of just chant our message at them as they go past and reach a lot of parents and students who might not be at the locations that we are doing these static pickets. A union! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Union! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Union! When do we want it? Now! In today's feature report, WFHB Environmental Affairs correspondent Nathaniel Weinserfell features an interview with Jesse Carbanda, the Executive Director of the Hoosier Environmental Council. This concludes Weinsefeld's series on how climate change impacts Indiana. We turn now to Nathaniel Weinsefeld for more. First held in 1970 and recently reaching its 50th year anniversary, Earth Day is an annual holiday held to demonstrate support for environmental protection and celebrate life on our planet, with over a billion people participating in related events worldwide. This holiday has been extended to encompass all of April, 
in what has been aptly named Earth Month. In celebration of Earth Month, there have been a series of news stories airing throughout the week focusing on how Indiana is likely to be affected by climate change. Researchers have rigorously studied what Indiana's future will entail, and these stories have covered the likely outcomes and provided some specific context. This is the fifth and final episode of the series, based around an interview with Jesse Carbonda, the executive director of the Hoosier Environmental Council, an organization that supports sustainable farming, modernizing transportation, a transition to greener energy, and protecting the health of Hoosiers. The interview was conducted by former WFHB environmental news correspondent Ryan Fields, who has generously provided the content of his conversation with the executive director, and it has been adapted for this story. Speaking out about climate change, a climate action event held at the Indiana State House today. More than 100 members of the group confront the climate crisis, gathered to discuss the importance of taking care of the planet. It's centered around support for two pieces of legislation that are sponsored by Republican State Senator Ron Alting. One is a resolution to acknowledge the problem of climate change. The other would create a climate and environmental justice task force. Senator Alting says he proposed the legislation because of what he's seen happen to the environment during his own lifetime. For many Hoosiers, there is a sense of urgency. Over the last few decades, the effects of climate change have been forewarned, and some areas of the state have already begun to take notice. Farmers have indicated that there has been a change in seasonal weather patterns impacting the crop yields and altering the timing of planting and harvesting. Bloomington residents have experienced once-in-a-century floods, and all Hoosiers have faced the hot summers that have become more frequent. Many residents have started to take action. Earlier this year, students from every region of the state met with Republican State Senator Ron Alting in support of his bill to tackle climate change issues in Indiana. Despite the support, the state government has not indicated that they will hear the legislation, and supporters believe that Indiana has not properly understood the threat to the environment, economy, and the health of Hoosiers that climate change can pose. Despite this, there are many environmental groups across the state who hope to change the trajectory of Indiana by changing the perspectives of Hoosiers and providing an understanding about climate change. This would generate support for proper responses and actions that could protect the state. One such group is the Hoosier Environmental Council. For 39 years, the Hoosier Environmental Council has been hard at work advocating for Indiana to become a, quote, better place to live, breathe, work, and play, unquote. The organization hopes to encourage Hoosiers to become more environmentally conscious and understand the possible climate solutions and pathways forward that Indiana could take. Executive Director Jesse Carbonda has, throughout his career, been passionate about expanding the tent of people who are concerned about the environment and climate. One such method of doing so is reaching out to people who otherwise may be apathetic to environmental issues. Mr. Carbonda explains why three communities, the faith, public health, and business, are a priority for the outreach of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Priorities over the last several years have been the faith community, the public health community, and the business community. And it's not to say that any of those three wouldn't be aware of environmental issues. We're certainly making a very intentional effort to engage all those three constituencies. And so, you know, the majority of Hoosiers are people of faith, and these belief systems are always leading them to the conclusion that um, they need to be better environmental stewards. And our aim is to really, again, make these uh, congregations more aware that there are here and now all the policy solutions that can take place in the, in the General Assembly to meet their needs, to, to speak to their needs. 
likewise for the business community, you know, we're very much wanting to lift up those businesses that are adopting really good sustainability practices. It might be a solar company that's homegrown here in Indiana and that's employing people in kind of an underinvested part of the state, or it could be, uh, you know, a company that uh, is in the business of community support to agriculture and that wants to foster grown organic agriculture. So that's another dimension of what we're trying to do. With the public health community, you know, there's a very clear link between climate change and public health as temperatures increase in our state and across the, the country and globe. Uh, it's going to mean more heat waves. And that's, of course, an area that public health professionals care about because they have solutions about how to protect people, um, the elderly and other vulnerable people from heat waves. Uh, you think about the fact that climate change is going to lead to shorter winters, which is going to lead to more infectious diseases like Lyme disease. So those are the reasons, those are the constituencies that we really prioritize, and those are the messages we really focused on. The Hoosier Environmental Council hopes that through these efforts of connecting with communities, more people will be supportive of environmental actions across the state. Another such method is through reaching across the aisle to people who share different political beliefs than oneself. This has been done by Republican State Senator Ron Olting, who worked with Democratic State Representative Carrie Hamilton in the State House to create the aforementioned climate bills. While these efforts are an uphill battle and have yet to be considered, their bipartisanship is admirable. Mr. Carbonda details the work done by the Hoosier Environmental Council to find common ground in support of the environment. I think our approach at the Hoosier Environmental Council is to build bridges. And so what, what ends up happening is that uh, there's definitely a good portion of lawmakers who trust our knowledge and our experience and with whom we have built long-time relationships who are influenced by our thinking. And there's another portion of people who are extremely skeptical of that thing, not because they know us, but because they don't know us. And it turns out that even people who can be polar opposite to us on one issue could be supportive of us on another issue. And so we have to keep having dialogue with everybody because you never know where you can find that common ground. I'd love to bring up that there's a very, very conservative lawmaker in our state who have a creationist view as opposed to a view that's grounded in Darwinian evolutionary thinking. This, this lawmaker, you would think, wouldn't find any common ground with us, but ended up backing a renewable energy bill. We always have to learn the very most that we can about the lawmaker, and then eventually um, we can figure out some area where we can work together. When it comes to climate change and the threat it poses, there is a need for all Hoosiers and all Americans to work together to address the common battles we will all face. Climate change will impact everyone, no matter the political background or economic class. However, there are groups of people out there who actively seek to influence politics in a manner that environmental issues are never properly addressed. Mr. Carbada has first-hand experience in facing up against the people and organizations who have this power, and provides insight as to where the power lies. I would say that the top two challenges we face are that large economic special interests have an undue grip on the legislature, and that there's a portion of lawmakers who are very rigid in their belief systems, and it doesn't matter whatever science or economic arguments you use, they are wedded to their ideological thinking. The power sector, the electrical utility lobby, the agribusiness lobby, and the developer lobby, those three businesses exert undue influence, we believe, in the legislature, and that, I think, is to the detriment of our air and land and water quality. Despite the politics at play, there are efforts being made to improve the environmental conditions of the state. 
one of the methods that could help prevent the worst effects of climate change worldwide is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. These pollutants, including carbon dioxide and methane, will continue to warm the planet the more prevalent they become in the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide, or CO2, accounts for about 80% of all the greenhouse gas emissions coming from the United States. The largest sources of carbon dioxide come from transportation, mainly through the use of gas cars as well as the burning of fossil fuels to generate electricity. Mr. Carbonda discusses the efforts of the Hoosier Environmental Council to generate public support for more renewable and cleaner forms of energy. You know, one piece of responding to climate change is helping to bring about reductions in greenhouse gas emissions in the state. And the three biggest opportunities we see cut emissions in our state are in solar energy, electric vehicles, and mass transit. The long-term goal for rooftop solar is to make it more affordable and accessible uh, by the uh, extension of net metering, which is a policy that's going to phase out next year in Indiana. Policy area that we want to work on is uh, electric vehicles. How do we make electric vehicles not only accessible to the wealth to everyday people, and then there, how do we get electric vehicles in places that can make a real difference in air quality? So, for example, Indiana has these pockets of what we call environmental injustice hotspots, areas where people have an undue burden of pollution. They, they just face too much pollution. And if we can deploy electric vehicles in those communities, we will help to reduce pollution there. So, for example, if there is a dump truck moving through that community that is spewing diesel exhaust, it's obviously not going to help with air quality in that local community. And so the idea would be to try to provide an incentive to replace the old diesel dump truck with an electric-powered dump truck. That's kind of a second policy area of cutting greenhouse gas emissions that we want to see happen. A third area is mass transit. Indianapolis passed a referendum a few years ago, uh, which is leading to a significant expansion of mass transit. But there's a faction of the Indiana General Assembly that wants to cut funding for this central Indiana mass transit expansion. And there's a necessity to fight back and try to defeat those bills so that mass transit can have the chance to truly succeed in Indianapolis. And if it does, then it will really inspire other communities to do something similar. Besides reducing greenhouse gas emissions through a conversion to more renewable energy sources, general environmental advocacy could help improve the current situation that Indiana finds itself in. The Hoosier Environmental Council wants to use nature to help the state fight climate change. For example, the protection of wetlands is necessary to prevent flooding, as these areas along the state's rivers act as a sponge, and the area is less likely to flood. There is also a movement to remove the coal ash ponds across the state that can lead to pollutants entering our state's waterways. Mr. Carbonda advocates for these policy positions and climate adaptations. Climate adaptation side as far as long-term priorities for ACC. One of them is to reverse what happened when SB 89 was passed. 89 is, is a bill that really weakens wetlands protections in Indiana and wetlands are really important, especially in the context of climate change because wetlands are incredibly good sponges that can help to essentially absorb a lot of flood water in the event of a massive rain event. But the problem is that S-89 significantly weakens protections for a wetland. Another public policy that we want to see with respect to climate adaptation is related to the fact that we have a lot of coal ash waste pits and a lot of factory farm waste pits that are in floodplains. And if there's a severe flooding event, those waste pits could break up and spew a ton of pollutants into our rivers and streams. And so 
we've got to enact public policy in our state that relocates these waste pits away from floodplains so that we protect our rivers and we also protect the groundwater that is oftentimes very near these rivers. When it comes to Indiana and the resulting effects of climate change, there is a sense that unity and support is needed between all Hoosiers to address the crisis that will impact all of us. Work done through organizations such as the Hoosier Environmental Council seek to find common ground between both the citizens and policymakers to find common solutions to this statewide and global problem. Similarly, there are current trends that are leaning towards a more renewable future, with cleaner energy and vehicles gaining more and more support across the state. Boosting the natural environment of Indiana has been shown to protect us from the effects of climate change, and advocacy is needed to ensure that the protections are enshrined into law for the future. Being knowledgeable about the Hoosier Environmental Council and actions being taken to both mitigate and respond to the climate crisis is an effective tool to convey the reasons why sustainable and achievable adjustments should be made to become more environmentally friendly and prepare the state for climate change. This is the last episode of WFHP Community Radio's multi-part series, Climate Change in Indiana. Thanks to Professor Kravitz, Professor Yoder, Professor Kirkpatrick, and Mr. Carbanda for enthusiastically being a part of this project. While Indiana will face many challenges in the future, the state is making progress to be ready for whatever is to come. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsapfel. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Hohusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Nathaniel Weinsefell. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 